0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. I can still remember the sermon I preached on September the 11th when those buildings came down in New York, and. I think I was playing a prophet beyond which I realized myself, to be honest with you. Uh, the, The essence of the message was, it appears to me that God has lifted the hedge of protection around America because we've chosen to ignore him. Because it appeared through the hundred or more years at that time, 150 years or so, that this country had been protected World War One. I. I remember parts of World War II. Uh, they're just other than a, a weird little thing where the Japanese let a, a bomb come into the U.S. on a on a balloon. Why, uh, we were just pretty well protected. And uh, on 9-11, it appeared that that protection was gone. And it's my opinion that had we not been in the process of telling God to take a hike, he would still be protecting us. But that's my opinion, and it's really a good one for <laughs> what that's worth, okay, because it's mine. The scripture that was read this morning is, uh, and it will make a lot of sense to you in, before I finish here, if you don't have a copy of the bulletin with the sermon outline on the back, get up and go get you one. Because you really do need it in order to follow along with what I'm trying to say. Did you hatch any babies? I heard you had a couple in the, on the way, you know. <laughs> what has happened here if you, at the top there? I, I gave you one of the Old Testament names for God. Jehovah-Jireh, simply translated into Northern Kentucky English, means God the Provider. God the Provider. Now, what I'm going to do is to show you when God chose Israel as the nation through whom he would work to bring the Messiah, the provision that he made for them under circumstances that were really pretty trying. When they left Egypt, he told them, eat the Passover meal standing up, have your everything you can borrow, beg, and steal from the Egyptians, take with you. And, uh, but then they went across the Sea of Reeds and down into the Sinai Peninsula, which is essentially desert. When you go into the desert, there's usually one thing above all other things that you worry about. This is a whole lot of people where they're going to get water that's what you worry about when you go to a desert well God said I'm the provider and so he provided water they went to a a spring when they and this is one of the places where I actually have some sympathy for the Israelis they were belly aching about you know where we're going to get water then he took them to this spring and uh, and at and where there was a, a rock that was that was used there and, and to provide water, the problem was the water. Well, I I don't know exactly what it was. I can tell you this: I had a, a family in a church down in Kentucky where I preached that had a well, and we were Alice Kay and I were eating there on a Sunday because we always went to a home because I was in college at the time and uh, the well that they drank from all the time was sulfur water i don't know what sulfur stinks and the water is awful but they drank that stuff they said well it's good for you well if you can drink it i mean it would make a belly go puke it was just really really bad and well anyway the water that they came that they came to the the, whether it was an artesian well or exactly what it was, I don't know. But it is an oasis, and it was a large amount of water for that many people. And and it and God directed Moses and Aaron to do something, and it and they said it sweetened the water. Now I have no idea what that means, other than it made it so they could drink it. It was like that awful sulfur water; they couldn't drink it. It, it became drinkable. Now this is just the first step in what God was providing for them. He provided drinkable potable water and then of course the next thing is what are we going to eat? They could only bring so much when they left Egypt on their back and on the carts. What are we going to eat? And God and they were, they were complaining about it. Now I think they had a, a legitimate complaint. The, the scripture says they were grumbling. If you listen to what emily said they were grumbling and uh, and and god heard their grumbling moses said what you're grumbling me for i don't have anything to do with it i didn't even want to bring i didn't even want to be your leader to start with and so you, you know get off my back and so you're really complaining about god it's it's his program so they they started complaining the lord said i've heard your complaints i've heard your grumbling and uh, and and it's legitimate, so I'll provide with you. And he, and he, here's what he said. That uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. That's the term that he used. I'm I'm going to rain it down on you, and uh, and and you're to go out in the morning, and and collect enough bread to do you and your family for that day. If you take any more than that, by the next morning, it will be rotten and maggot-filled. I don't know whether you've ever been around maggots or not, but they're not tasty. And so, and they stink like, I'll oh, get out. But anyhow, he said, that's what you're to do. People, oh, why don't we get more? And some of them did, and it did rot on them. He said, because you're to trust me. That's is the whole deal. You've got to learn to trust me. It's my program. I've chosen you. I'm going to take care of you, but you need to trust me and and this is a test whether you'll do it or whether you won't. well some did some didn't typical and and he said not only that but in the evening i'm going to give you meat to eat now and and so after the first morning came they went out and here the stuff was on the ground that, uh, that the that he said it was going to rain from heaven and when they picked it up they said what the heck is this now In Kentucky, that's what they were saying. In the the Yankees up here where you use foul language, it was probably a little more colorful than that. But anyway, and they picked it up. Now, what you need to remember is the Hebrew word for the phrase, what is this? Is the word manna. And so when the scripture says it rained down manna, the people gave it the name when they picked it up and looked at it and said, well, what is this? They said it tasted like a wafer with honey on it. Now, that that kind of satisfies me. I've got a sweet tooth. But they ate that for 40 years, and I got a sneaking suspicion that a McDonald's would have come in handy about once a week for them. Because I, on one of the trips we made to Israel one year, we had... Been there probably five or six days, and we were up at uh, on the Syrian border at uh, there's a mountain, big mountain, there, ten thousand feet high, called Mount Hermon. At the base of Mount Hermon was a city at one time called Caesarea Philippi, and it's written up in in the 16th uh, chapter of, of the book of Matthew, and uh, uh, and so we had finished I finished my lectures and so on. We gotten back on the bus. We'd gotten back on the main highway that leads back down to the Sea of Galilee, and the, and the, uh, the uh, guide asked me if I'd come up and sit with him, and he whispered something in my ear. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do that. So we pulled off the main highway, up maybe a quarter of a mile, and pulled in, and the people actually stood up and cheered. That was a McDonald's. And they'd been eating that same old... When, when you go to Israel, it'll make any difference where you eat, you eat the same thing every day. It was just like the the manna. They eat the same thing every day. And we really blitzed that joint. People and in fact they said, Is there another one in Jerusalem? Well there was. We went there too. But so I think the Israelites really would have liked to have had a McDonald's there because they're eating this stuff. The quail meat is not a bob white like we have here, but it it is a bird and that that bird that that actually uh, the, the commentators say that that has a a route between uh, say about turkey and, and, and southern Europe all the way down in the winter time into, into parts of Africa back and forth, but the bird looks like a, a chucker or a grouse or something, and and they just tran- the English word they translated was quail it 's not the bobwhite like we have because when I was a kid growing up we had quail everywhere i mean you could go out in the morning in the field in the day and 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 if you just stand there and be good and quiet you could hear and you and sitting on a post down here somewhere was a was a quail in the evening it was just which meant it's time to get together and they would come together they'd keep whistling like that and get together You need to know that because most of you never heard of Bob White in your life, and you need a little education from somebody that's seen him. Now, you old gray-haired guys think I'm crazy, but I'm not. I'm just partly. So here here we go. Here's what's happened. Now, get the picture because this is going to be reflected here. He said, okay, you need water? I'm giving you water. You need food? I'm giving you food. But he's not nearly done yet because... He said, I, I'm going to do more than that for you. I'm going to give you total care if you'll trust me. That's a big if. You know, it's a, it's a big if. And here's, here's actually the way that he said it. There, the, and, and this is in the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus. There the Lord made a decree and a law for the Israelites. And there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I'm your God who heals you. Okay, now look what we have. I'm trying to give you a picture of something that that'll make some sense to you later on i got i'm giving you food remember jehovah jireh means provider i'm giving you i'm giving you water to drink i'm giving you food to eat and i'm going to see that you have health care see if all this begins to make sense here in a minute now actually he's not done because one of the other things they're concerned about that we all are concerned about is what do I do for the clothes I wear? What what, what about that? What about my the shoes that that uh, that I get? I get a little thing. There's a shoe place in Columbus, and I get a thing for my birthday. I just got it the other day. It says I'm going to get a 10 percent discount on shoes. But when you look at the cost of the shoes, it's 150 dollars. So I get 15 percent off. I get to pay 135 instead of 150 i turned out that thing up and threw it away, you know. So, but anyway, that's something that we're concerned about. And he actually addresses that, but it's not here in the book of Exodus. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, in the 29th chapter here of the book of Deuteronomy, listen to what he says he's going to do for them. Because remember now, total care if, if they behave themselves. Here in the 29th chapter, verse, oh, let's see. Start at verse five. During the forty years, he's looking back and said, "This is what I did. During the forty years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine and other fermented drink. But but what I gave you was manna and water and quail meat. Now." so far what do we have here we have food to eat water to drink clothes to wear shoes to wear and i'm not going to get sick i refer to that and jehovah is providing that he's the provider i call that total care total care what I, i was being something just less than a smart aleck when i put here on your paper that what he was doing was, in essence, giving them food stamps. Now, what I'm trying to do is to show you how this relates to us, because it does. It really does. Now, when you go over into the book of Matthew, Jesus actually looks back on how God selected Israel, chose them. They were called the chosen people. He chose them, and then he gave them total care and brought them out. And in spite of all of this that he was doing for them, they were grumbling all the time. Here's an interesting observation. The more you give people, the more they want. I have never had anybody say, "That's that's enough. I don't don't need any more. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you this, and it bothers me, but it's the way it is. Historically, here at church, the people we have helped the most turn on you the quickest if they can find somebody who will give them more than you do. Now, just think about that because that's not an exaggeration. That's an observation of fact. So the people were grumbling. Jesus actually looked back on that and commented on it at some length when he started his ministry and it's recorded here in the sixth chapter in the Sermon on the Mount in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew he put it in this area here for his followers he said you guys have got to quit worrying about things so that you can concentrate on what's really important that's the way he put it here's the way it reads therefore I tell you don't worry about your life what you will eat Or drink or about your body your health or what you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes look at the birds of the air they don't sow or reap or store in barns and yet their Heavenly Father feeds them are you not more valuable than they who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life and why do you worry about clothes See how the lilies grow in the field? Now I'm going to stop there for a minute because one of the prettiest places that I ever saw in my life, and I've seen a few places. When I was in uh, Turkey in Istanbul once, I'd gotten there at midnight and I woke up the next morning and the people that had invited me there put me in a hotel on the Bosphorus, and it's located right on the Bosphorus. The Bosphorus is the, a beautiful piece of water that goes from the Mediterranean up to the Black Sea. and and you could walk out of the hotel and down to the edge of the water and the ships were there. So I got on the phone right quick and called Alice Kay. I said, you better get your fanny over here. This is a place for lovers. It's the prettiest place I ever saw. She didn't come. Anyhow, growing up on the farm, dad bought this little dirt farm, 127 acres, paid $12,500 for it. And on the back of the farm, just before you get to the line between us and our neighbor, there was a place where there had been a house. The house was gone. And around that house, they had, at one time, had jonquils. We just called them Easter lilies. And that whole, and over a period of years, that whole four and a half acres were covered with jonquils. And in the spring of the year, when they were all blooming, that's the prettiest place you ever saw. People would come for miles just to take pictures. And, uh, and I always, I was just a little fellow then, and I would volunteer to go pose for them. But I, I, I was seldom chosen. I volunteered, but I was seldom chosen. I, I, I don't know what the problem was. Anyway, anyway, whenever I read this about the lilies of the field, I think of the lily patch out on Possum Ridge so he goes ahead and say you know not even solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these if that's how god clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith because they were complaining too don't worry what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows what you need. He's saying, if you'll let me worry about that, here's your assignment. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll provide all of this for you. We don't do that. We seek first food, water, clothing, cars to wear, house to live in, all of that stuff, and then what's left over we put in on the kingdom. You see, we've turned the whole thing upside down, and then we wonder why things are so messed up. See, God said to his people, if you want this to work, do it my way. Do it my way. And they just grumbled and said, hey, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm an American, you know. Anyway, for what that's worth. What you probably don't know some of you may, if you're really good at history. What you don't know is that same problem of, of total provision for people that we're experiencing here in our country now has its roots in what was preached and taught in churches in the 1800s. There was a thing that was, that you probably have heard this term, but it didn't, you didn't pay attention. It's called post millennialism. Millennials, what, a thousand years? Post means after. So after a thousand years. And what they were saying during the 1800s from most of the pulpits in our USA, and in the world really, was that God is blessing us so wonderfully, but if the government and the churches come together, they can actually create the kingdom of God here on Earth now. That kingdom of God then will be created here on Earth, and and when that's created, and that will that will amount to God providing everything. And when that time comes at the end, then Christ will come and reign for a thousand years. That's called post-millennialism. At the time when this was coming to a peak in its teaching and influence, First World War came along. You probably do remember this. The First World War was referred to in history as the war to end all wars. The president at that particular time was Woodrow Wilson, who was a left winger, who started most of this progressive stuff that we're dealing with now. And he was uh, he was elected twice, and then he was going to run for the third term, but he had a stroke, and and his wife actually was the president for the last few years of his second term. Anyway, that was that was that whole thing was there, and then the and and then when it didn't turn out to be so good, what happened was that the government said and oh, I forgot something. And during that 1800s, two things happened that are tremendously significant. One, in about 1859, a guy wrote a book and called The the Origin of the Species. And in that book, Darwin indicated that that the whole book of Genesis was a fairy tale and that what he was writing was a scientific appraisal through what was called naive empiricism, which means simple observation, this is really the way it is. And, and then just almost during the same time, another guy was saying, hey, if the kingdom of God is coming, uh, I need to get in on this. And he was an atheist, and he wrote a book and, uh, and, and a lot of material with it in which he described what a paradise for workers would be. Because, you see, they were looking for things moving toward a paradise here on earth. So from the atheistic point of view, he said, this is what I think a paradise would look like for atheists. His name was Karl Marx. And today, whether you know it or not, his influence is tremendous here in our culture. He was, a, And see, what they did was say, okay, between the origin of the species and the works of Marx and others at the same time, that could go on forever, God then was moved out of the picture, and government was viewed as the provider of replacing God and providing everything that God said he would provide. That's where this whole concept that we're living with today. Now, what is overlooked and a lot, of religion, a lot of our churches are falling for this hook, line, and sinker. But what they don't do is they, they select Scripture that fits their preconceptions rather than the, taking the whole thing. For instance, the Bible teaches that in this whole process of God's provision, you need to work. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't sit around and say, bring me lunch, you know, bring me a cup of tea, bring me this. No, they were told, you care for the garden, keep it in good shape, help it make it it productive. When Jesus went back to heaven, some of the churches, and it's written in the book of Thessalonians, some of the Christian people went out on the hillside and sat down and said, hey, the rest of you bring me something to eat because we're going to sit here and pray and look up. The Apostle Paul wrote him a letter and said, you tell that bunch sitting out there on the hill that wants you to bring them everything, that if they don't work, they don't eat. That's exactly what he said. I'm not messing with the translation at all. So God has always expected us to work and earn and provide, starting with your own family. He who careth not for his own, the Scripture said, is, is, and, is, and especially of his own household, is worse than the infidel. Now, I've tried to give you a background of, here's, here's the way things will be in the kingdom of God, and we, mess, and, and we mess that all up. You see, what happened after the word end all wars didn't work, the Second World War come along, and then... The theologians came up with what's called premillennialism, and they went to the other extreme. There were things have to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until God gets a belly full and this slams down and and brings all things to a screeching halt. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret that most people don't know, and you're getting it directly from the horse's mouth. Postmillennialism was wrong. Premillennialism is wrong. I don't have time to tell you what's right. Come back on another day and we'll talk about what the Scripture actually says because they put this whole thing together and and, uh, so I, I need to stop there and hope that you have gotten the picture now of here's where this whole concept came from. God provided for his people, Israel, to bring them out, free them from from the slavery that they were in in Egypt, give them a a promised land, and when they came to that promised land, they were to take care of themselves. He would bless them, but they were to take care of themselves. And not only take care of themselves, they were to share with other people, be generous. Well, during all that time, during all this time, you know, God is so kind and so generous that for people who honor him they invariably are blessed with more good stuff with better health he's he's really kind and generous but he expects us to do what he told Israel they needed to do trust him you cannot trust your government leaders. I'm telling you, I've given up on them. They're a bunch of useless, selfish jerks who are concerned primarily about getting reelected, and if they can manipulate us to help do that, they'll do it. Now, you say you're apt, some of you are apt to say, I didn't come here to hear politics. Well, you're going to, whether you want to or not, because it's my day to preach. So here, here's, here's the way it is and i wanted you to know the background for this stuff how it came from the churches actually contributed to the problem by poor theology because what happened back in the in the 1800s is people were coming to christ in great numbers but they had mostly what i used to call here steel mill preachers these were guys that get saved on friday night and wanted to preach on sunday morning and they didn't know revolutions from Genesis. And they get up, and all they did was moralize. Don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or run around with those who do. And that was their sermon. But understanding the Scripture and, 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 and what it really teaches, they didn't know. And they should have been sitting and learning instead of standing up and running off at the mouth talking about things they didn't know anything about. I believe in an educated ministry. So that when uh, that people, like Paul told Timothy, to study to show yourself approved unto God so that you can handle aright the Word of God. Okay? Now then, I've really tried to give uh, Israel some sympathy, in all honesty, uh, because of the water problem and going through the desert and so on. But, you know, I don't know what they could have asked for more. I mean, they were really fortunate people. Uh, but so I'm, but they, they, they really were freeloaders. I mean, that's the way it boils down to. Now, I, I'm going to I tell you about this, because I get a kick about, out of it. Because uh, the government comes out and says, what, here recently, oh, I guess it was the president came out and said, anybody who has a school debt will forgive. and if you work here in the White House you'll get $20,000 off and I said to myself self I educated along with my first wife's help five kids and when they got out of school they didn't owe a penny paid for all of it and Since Matthew's working on his Ph.D., he's going to go to school until hell freezes over. I'm convinced of that. But anyway, he's working on his doctorate, and and guess who gets to pay for that? You don't. Old Scott and Alice Kay do. And and I'm kind of glad because, you know, I didn't get to, my wife started having babies, and I didn't get to finish my doctorate, and I always kind of felt bad about that. And I'm glad he's getting it, because because he, in the long run, he says, I really want to train young preachers, and we desperately need them. And so, you know, because Alice Kay and I've been blessed with, you know, we we we've, we've made a lot of money that I, that that just came easy when when I quit working out in the world and and invested. I put a, all of our savings in one stock all of it. They say don't do that. But I, you know I've never listened to anybody very well anyway. So I put it all in Facebook. And it went it went from about $40 that I paid for it to 315. And since I'm a generous guy, I gave it back to them. That means I sold it. And then I did something else equally as stupid. Now, you see, you're not supposed to tell people this, but I don't believe in having secrets. I, you know. There's a Chinese company and I put everything we had in that Chinese company. And I sold it at 300. And this girl sitting here knows about it because she handles both of my dollars. Anyway, it worked out that, that we, we made a lot of money. And we've given that's the reason we could afford to bring Patrick and Eddie over here. That's the reason we could send them to help send them to college with help of, of Doug Booth and William McKinley. We sent them to get a master's degree and that's why they're building that church back because we've already sent them, I don't know. $150,000, probably going to send them another twenty-five here pretty soon. Then we're going to find out what date the building will be blessed, and we'll go over there. So God has really been, I know what it is to be blessed of God. Does that make sense to you? I'm, 80, I'm going to be 85 here in about two weeks, and I'm preaching on my birthday, and I want you to really fill up the coffers so I can tell everybody what nice people you are. As a birthday gift, do, I, whatever excuse I can come up with, I'll use. You know, but anyway, Jesus took this this story of Israel. Let's see what time I'll get in trouble here? Okay, I got fifteen minutes. I can do that. Jesus takes this whole story of Israel and their problems of tra- and their grumbling coming out of Israel, coming to Israel out of Egypt. And he comments on that and uses it as an illustration here in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John that Emily read for you. What Jesus is doing is he's taking an illustration that everybody knows to illustrate something he wants them to know that they obviously don't know. So he says, do you remember in the Old Testament, he's telling his people, do you remember in the Old Testament how God sent bread from heaven? That's only so that you can understand that's an illustration of what the real bread from heaven is. The real bread from heaven, Jesus said, is me. He said, I'm the bread. I'm the one that came. I've been to heaven, and I I came here on earth. I'm the real bread. The bread that they ate, In Israel, coming out of captivity, most of the people died in the desert. The bread that I give you will give you not only life physically, but spiritual life. And if you unite God's spirit with your spirit, his spirit is eternal. And when he unites with your spirit, you have eternal life. That's what he's promising in John. So he's using that as an illustration. He said, "Therefore, view me as the bread of life." Now, the problem we run into here is some of the dumb things that the church with well intentions have done through the years. This obviously ends up in the book of Acts with the creation of what we call what we call communion. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Sometimes it's called the mass and the celebration of the Eucharist. But they took what Jesus was saying. What he was doing is he's using something really simple that everybody could understand to illustrate something that they really didn't know but really needed to know. And when he said, if you eat, eat, eat my bread, eat my flesh, the church looked at that and said, well, how are we going to do that? And they actually did this. They said, okay, somewhere during the, uh, the, the ritual of communion, the wine will turn into the blood of Christ and the bread will turn into the flesh of Christ so that you're eating the flesh that Jesus said. And all he was doing was using a simple illustration, saying, hey, we're going to use wine. Why? Why did he use wine? Because when you pour out wine, it's red, and it looks like, it, and he said, so let this represent the blood. Here's the bread over here, and bread is, the bread that we use is nothing more than, than bread without yeast, unleavened bread, and tastes awful, and on purpose, by the way. Because it is to remind you of the body of Christ that was hung on the cross. It is a simple, Paul said in the, in the book of, um, in, of Corinthians, 11th chapter, he said, this is a simple memorial so that you won't forget. Just like when the Jews said, you because the original bunch of Christians were all Jews. He said, do you remember once a year when you sit down and you eat the Passover? It's a a reminder of the fact that God passed over you all and punished the Egyptians so that you would be set free. And so you won't forget we have this annual memorial. So he said, communion is nothing more than a visible reminder of what Jesus did on the cross when he died there and shed his blood and God accepted that as total payment for the sins of anybody who would accept Jesus as their Savior. It's that simple. It's almost idiot-proof. And yet, the church at times, for whatever reasons, has really messed that up. We're committed here in our congregation to be a New Testament church, which means everything in the Old Testament is there, to be used as an illustration to teach help help us understand the new. The Bible actually refers Paul in the 4th chapter of Galatians verse 4 actually says that the Old Testament is like a schoolmaster that helps us to understand the new. The Old Covenant Old Testament o, helps us understand the new. He actually used the term schoolmaster. You know what and and you probably know what a schoolmaster is. A schoolmaster was a slave The slave was the guy in in a wealthy household who would take the children from the house to the synagogue to because a rabbi the word rabbi means teacher so he had what was called a synagogue school for the children and so they would take he was the guy who brought them from the house to the teacher so he was saying that's kind of the way the old testament is it's that that leads us to the new to helps us understand the new. So see, you're not bound by anything in the Old Testament unless it's repeated in the new. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. That's simple. If, however, it's repeated in the new, then we're, we're bound by it as a New Testament church. And we, Because you see... Those of you who have those little tattoos on your behind or your arm or, and, and have your old girlfriend's name on your arm here and, and you married someone else, you know how, that, how wonderful that is? Well, see, in the Old Testament, that was outlawed. But it, it's not mentioned in New Testament because it was related to paganism tattoos were directly related to paganism now, all that good stuff I should charge you for because it's really important to understand if we're going to figure out what we're to be as Christians we need to get that all straightened out so the Old Testament i I tried to show you that the church has done some horrible things I don't know how you know it or not but in New York the church the organized churches who belong to the National Council of Churches. Their headquarters is out on Long Island, in a building there was actually built next door to a big old church building uh, by the Rockefellers. And on the sign of the National Council of Churches headquarters there, it says the words, the world sets our agenda, not the Bible, the world. And the result is, a violation of what the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we're kingdom thinkers, not worldly thinkers. And, and and they're saying, well, you can't believe the Bible anyway. It's just a bunch of fairy tales. So uh, this is the way we do it. We let the world set our agenda, and then as a church, we respond to it. And that's, what they're, that's why. that's what's going on here now. Be very careful. Why do you think churches are coming out and saying, we will ordain homosexuals. Why do you think they do that? Because they don't believe the Bible that says that homosexuality is a sin. They don't believe it. Result is, there's a horrible tension between those of us who believe the Bible and when we say, and all you have to do is read the first chapter of Romans, and it's repeated in other places too, and when it spells it out... Now, in, I need to insert this before I quit here in a minute. One of the things that the little piece of paper that your children have, that's got the question that they may ask you is, is grumbling in the Bible a sin? That's going to be one of the questions. And if I don't tell you the answer, you won't know. Nowhere in the Scripture... Is grumbling called a sin? But it is advised in the Scripture not to grumble. In fact, Paul in in Philippians says, you know, don't don't do anything with grumbling and arguing. Avoid that. Just avoid that as as followers of Christ. Just avoid that. But he says. There you reap what you sow, and grumbling produces a results that you probably don't want. So you're advised avoid it. In fact, he says, why don't you practice joy and forgiveness and happiness rather than grumbling? And you do that by counting your blessings. You count your blessings. That's the way that you do that. Now, according to my Waterbury, I've got about three or four minutes here, I want you to uh, listen to me carefully, especially if you're not a Christian. These next few minutes, I want you to listen to me really, really carefully if you're not a Christian. The Bible... teaches us to love everybody without necessarily agreeing with them. That's not easy. It, it's, in fact, it's difficult. In fact, I think it's impossible without God's help. Because by nature, we start complaining from the time that we're born almost and to rise above that natural tendency to do things that gets us into trouble. And all of us have it. All of us have it. All of us have a propensity. I'm not certain that just because we're flesh and blood we're born as sinners. But I do believe that all of us because of the fallen nature of humanity we have a propensity towards sin and sooner or later we do that's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God so Jesus is in the process of developing his own nation of people it's called the church and and these are people that he's chosen because the Bible says this interesting he says in the sixth chapter of John no one can come to the Father unless he draws them. In some places, this is called the wooing of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you this, especially if you're not a Christian, listen carefully. Have you or are you in the process of feeling in your innermost being a sense that God is speaking to you? Because you see, here's how we come to know Jesus. It's kind of simple. And here's how the Holy Spirit works to start wooing you and touching your heart. The Bible says it's through the preaching of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit takes His Word and then uses it to tug at the hearts of people. If you're a Christian, it usually means, you know, there are areas of improvement in my body that that I need to work on. If you're not a Christian, it boils down to this. God is saying, "I love you. You come to me. You come to me, and I will guarantee you that whatever is worrying you, I'll take care of. If it's a past sin of your life, I'll forgive you. If it's if it's a habit that you can't break, I'll assist through my Holy Spirit to help you to become an overcomer." He's saying, please come to me. And if you're one of those, there's seats up here in front. I want you to stand. That means up. And we do this simply to make it easier for people who are being wooed by the Holy Spirit to just as we pray, come down these aisles and sit in these front seats. The little lady that was baptized this morning did that two weeks ago. Sat right over there. So we're asking you, giving you the opportunity. Don't leave here until you know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, don't do it because I'm asking you. That's not the right thing to do. I want you to come only if you sense the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life. As the rest of us, bow our heads and pray for the next few minutes. And while we bow and pray, please know that these chairs are open waiting for you. Let's bow our heads. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 1030 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.